Hello, everyone. Welcome to the London Health Podcast from the Healthy London Partnership. Once again today, we're returning to the topic of homeless health in London and recapping once again on some of the work, fantastic, world-leading work on homeless health response to COVID in the capital. Before we get going, because today we're going to be zeroing in on some of the work that's happened in terms of assessing people's health within the hotels where uh, the homeless community have been housed temporarily. Um, a quick recap then for those who've not been close to this. So I think since oh, towards the end of March, about 5,000 people in the capital and um, been brought inside as part of what's become known as the Everybody In push with hostels and night shelters closed. And it has been a fantastic success and during a uh, highly pressured time, thanks to a lot of co-working between local authorities, between health providers and numerous charities and other organisations. And um, out, so I think we've had about 1,200 people, maybe slightly higher within the Great London Authority provided hotels, and I think more like 3,500 outside of that. And things like transmission rates have been kept very into the sort of very low single figures compared to international cities of comparable size and structure to London, where it's been more like 50 to 60 percent. Amongst that, as well as keeping people safe from COVID largely, there's also been some other fantastic opportunities to assess wider health and get that treatment done. Part of that is what's become known or what is generally known as health needs assessment. So we'll be talking about that today. I'm not going to go on for too much longer because I've got an expert here to help me out with that who's been very close to the centre of this. So we're going to be joined today by UCLH's Dr. Binta Sultan, NIHR Doctoral Research Fellow and an Inclusion Health Specialist. And she and her team have been at the forefront of the health needs assessment work and much, much more. Um, good afternoon, Binta. Hi, James. Um, welcome to the London Health Podcast. I thought what we might start by doing, though, is asking you to say a little bit but more about your own background, the work you've done, and how you and your team came to be involved with the, the homeless health response in London to COVID. Sure. So I'll tell you a little bit about myself first and then um, our team. So I'm a consultant physician uh, with a specialism in HIV and sexual health and have been working in improving access to healthcare for excluded populations for many years. I'm also a clinical researcher at the Institute of Global Health at UCL and looking at improving hep C care pathways in people who experience homelessness. Um, and that's how I found myself uh, working with the Find and Treat team. Uh, the Find and Treat team at UCLH have been providing outreach care for people who experience homelessness for many years. Um, we are a multidisciplinary team um, at the core of which is um, the peer support workers that are, uh, I'll say that again, the core of which are uh, peer support workers who are the backbone of the team. Uh, and in terms of our involvement in the homeless health response during the COVID pandemic, we as a team found ourselves at the core of the response at the start of the pandemic. Um, mm. I myself was involved in setting up the COVID testing uh, for people who experience homelessness across London. Uh, we now have several teams that are running that service um, based at Find and Treat. Um, 
We uh, also, along with the Collaborative Centre for Inclusion Health, set up a um, COVID surveillance for the hostels and hotels across London. Um, we all recognise the complex health needs of the people who are accommodated in the hotels and the opportunity of providing um, them access to healthcare for the first time in a very long time. Um, and that's how um, these health needs assessments came about. Um, so it's an op opportunity really to document the health needs and try to provide some urgent care mm. as well. Fantastic. And um, you touched there on the health needs assessments. And one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you today, Binter, is while there's going to be no cliff edge in sort of step down or provision of the health needs assessments, I think as the hotels are going to start to close across August and across the rest of the year. That's all still to be decided finally. But there'll be some return to something like business as usual for you and your team. And so the onus for health needs assessments to some degree will, I think, I think I'm right in saying will fall to local providers. We'll, we'll touch on that uh, a little bit more and the importance of these and how people can get involved a bit, a bit later. But um, re recapping again quickly on what happened in March. So obviously people were, were taken inside, people were triaged according to their COVID needs and their care needs. And then that provided this opportunity to assess people's health. Um, for those of us like me, who are lay people who aren't close to this work, um, perhaps you could talk about the health needs assessments, kind of what, what's physically involved, what people are tested for, how it works, and give us a picture of that. Yeah, so um, the health needs that probably a lot of people are aware about have this acronym CRISP. Um, and so they stand for COVID-19 homeless rapid integrated screening protocol um so crisp sounds a lot better and <laughs> um, uh, what it is is a, it's a comprehensive health assessment um and it covers things such as um covid symptoms people who are at risk of at higher risk of complications from covid so people who need shielding um people who have other vulnerabilities uh, to covid and also uh, identifying particular physical health needs and mental health needs. We also capture information about um, physical vulnerability and frailty um, and cognition, um, as well as risks from drug and alcohol use and um, bloodborne viruses and sexual health. So it's a very comprehensive yeah. assessment yeah. and it's based on um, previous validated um, inclusion health questionnaires. And really it, uh, the, the core of it is, is about bringing health and, and housing together in the sense that recognizing that an individual's health needs um, impacts directly on their housing needs and their ability to sustain housing mm -hmm. um, and that's really what the the core of the crisp assessment is about um, and trying to ensure that there is that identification of needs but also some support in place going on from the assessment in terms of ensuring people get the right access to care and mm -hmm. the right housing okay so that's that's really interesting because again you know i come at this from a very lay angle and to my mind, I was talking to our story yesterday about um, hepatitis testing, for instance, and uh, it's quite easy for people like me to have a picture of, I don't know, a mass swab and that kind of thing. And But so how, I mean, it's going to be good to find out what specifically people are tested for as, as well as COVID. And also, um, 
just kind of how how it works. I mean, I'm really interested to get the kind of picture in terms of how that is, how it does procedurally. I don't know becomes linked in with with housing. Is there kind of a, is there a, a profile of each person kind of updated and sent on? How does it how does that work? Yeah, so it's uh, primarily a telephone-based health assessment that's conducted by a clinician. Mm. Um, and at the end of the assessment, what we have is a summary of this person's individual health and social care needs. Okay. And what we do with that information is, um, one, we link into primary care. So mm. if someone's not registered with a GP, that's something that's flagged up mm. from the health needs assessment. Um, and two, this forms this assessment forms part of their summary care record so mm. there will always be this documentation of this uh, snapshot of their health and social care needs at this point in time mm. um, and those who are more complex who have issues like cognitive impairment or physical mobility issues um, what we've done is we've organized uh, a multidisciplinary team process at the end of completing a certain number of assessments in a in a location and the multidisciplinary team consists of a representative for primary care um, drug and alcohol services mental health services social care um, mm -hmm. occupational therapy mm -hmm. um, as well as the housing team so it's bringing all of these people mm -hmm. who would individually be involved with this person's care mm -hmm. it's bringing them all together in the same room to address the individual person's needs all all together and coming up with a holistic um, approach to care mm -hmm. and the reason for doing that is really about both one ensuring that people don't fall through the cracks in the system and get mm -hmm. lost in between um assessments or teams but also to ensure that they have the best chance of being able to be in the right sort of accommodation and maintaining um, that ability to stay in that accommodation and they have all the ongoing support needs in place um, so it's looking at both an individual level and mm. also in terms of ensuring people stay um, mm. in housing and in the right sort of housing this is absolutely key fantastic and a um, couple of bits from me. Um, I'm presuming then as there's the, the kind of the telephone assessments and that will also, I imagine, scoop up the, the physical work that's already gone on within the hotels. That's kind of centralised sort of physical testing and things. Um, and the other bit, I well, a, a shameless plug, if I, I may, because I know you've been so happy you're going to work with us on a webinar we've got coming up on the 6th of August where we're going to talk in a bit more detail about the MDT approach. Um, and we'll put the link for people to sign up to that in the in the podcast description. Um, just as a bit of a, not a teaser, but something that I know we'll cover in the webinar, Binta, um, we were talking earlier in the week that I think I'm right in saying that you wouldn't want people to be put off if they thought that they didn't have the resource or the capacity or perhaps even the buy-in to have a, a full-scale multidisciplinary team. There, there, are, there are a few more kind of flexible options around that. Is that right? Yeah, so every area is different, obviously, in terms of resource and ability um, mm. to um, be able to provide certain services. So mm. one is, the first thing I want to say is that this is really an opportunity mm. um, to assess um, the health needs of this group of people mm. and um, to provide data that will 
be a really powerful tool for advocacy mm. in terms of resource provision and service planning going forward. So really powerful and mm. piece of work. Mm. Um, and secondly, yes, there, there is the flexibility in terms of how people are followed up and, and that mm. um, that MDT process doesn't have to be um, prescribed mm. in a particular way. Mm. Um, I think it is important to have some sort of MDT so that mm. there is a discussion and all of these needs are addressed. Mm. But I think local teams may find different ways of, of working based on what, are, what they already have in place. Mm. Um, so certainly I don't think the MDT process, and it's something, as you say, we'll talk a bit more about in the webinar. Yeah. But that process, I, I wouldn't want people to feel is daunting. It's something that we have been able to set up very quickly in mm. response to the health assessments that we've done mm. um, and has been very successful. So I think, um, although it can seem like a daunting task, mm. when it actually comes down to it, people are engaged, the, the various teams are engaged, mm. and um, it's really just about bringing people together. And mm. I don't think that's um, unachievable. Excellent stuff. And. In terms of uh, progress, that segues nicely, perhaps progress is the wrong word, but um, can you describe in terms of the health needs assessments, uh, what progress has been made? Um, I mean, I suppose some of it is broad in terms of healthcare outcomes or healthcare planning, but how far we've got with testing people and, and getting those kind of crisp responses? Yeah, so we've done about 900 assessments so far. Okay. Um, and mostly in the GLA hotels, and we're now just starting in the local authority hotels um, over the last week or so. Um, it's been a challenge um, mm. for various reasons. Um, we initially started off with a clinical volunteer force workforce, um, which obviously with the easing of lockdown, people had to return to their normal jobs. So it's it's been a challenge in terms of organisation, but we're now on a, um, a kind of, Mm. Uh, we've got a good rhythm with it um, mm. and in terms of the needs they've identified so far we've found that you know a quarter of people are not registered with GPs okay. and that's one thing that's been flagged up from the health assessments and we've ensured that people are they're not already registered are in the process of being registered with a GP which is absolutely key to ensuring mm. continued access to health care mm. um, we've identified people with um, cognitive impairment, mm. uh, people who, with particular vulnerabilities, so people who've been trafficked. Mm. Um, and these are things that um, people don't, wouldn't normally, haven't disclosed to the housing teams before. So that's something to, to be aware of, that um, there is a particular role that um, healthcare can mm. play in identifying some of these needs. Um, uh, some of the other things we've identified are um, you know, a third of people have um, mental health issues, about 10% mm. have serious mental illness, um, mm. about a third of people have dental issues. So lots of things mm. um, that need addressing. And there are already steps in place now as, as a consequence of the data coming out from the health assessments to, to address some of these issues. Okay, so that's fantastic. And I think in Am I right? Thinking in terms of numbers, certainly in the GLA hotels, I think it was about, so as I say, we're talking about 1,200 people. Your 900 is approximately about 65% of the guests, if, I, if I'm right. Yeah, so that's right, about 65%. Mm. Um, and that's uh, us 
contacting every single person in the GLA hotels okay. at least three times. So okay. um, we've made every um, attempt and uh, given people the opportunity to take part as much as we can. Mm. Um, yeah, so uh, approximately 65%. And I think that's a good um, marker for uh, what's achievable mm. um, in terms of getting these health assessments done. And, and that's, I think that's a, that's a pretty good effort in terms of mm. it's not always easy to access people, especially now that lockdown has eased, people are out working, people mm. have other kind of priorities and aren't sitting mm. in a hotel room waiting for a phone call. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, it sounds like an immense, uh, immense achievement. Um, you touched on this earlier on, but and it possibly isn't uh, isn't your specialty to answer. I don't know. Um, but in terms of linking people with primary care, I imagine. I mean, there's all sorts of pressures on accommodation in the capital, so people may be leaving hotels, I guess, and being housed elsewhere, different boroughs, that kind of thing. Um, I may be stating the obvious, but uh, if we if we are linking people with primary care, is that how helpful is that? Is that something of a passport if someone, I don't know, leaves Lewisham and ends up in Enfield or something? It's probably a crude example, but I'm just keen to get that picture of that continuity. Yeah, I don't think it's a crude example. I think it's something that we've seen a lot, actually, and it's mm. a real problem, this kind of movement of people between hotels and across boroughs mm. um, in the context of, of all services being localised um, mm and ensuring that people have some sort of continuity of care. And I think primary care access and primary care registration is probably the one thing that would be that continu continuity of care. Mm. Um, and so even if someone's registered temporarily in, mm. the, in the location they're at at the time, it's, it's much easier to move their records across mm. um, to their kind of final destination, as it were, Mm. of their GP than it is to then go and register someone and in that period of time where they've been unregistered they've had significant unmet health needs mm. um, they've kind of been lost in the system mm. so I think primary care registration is absolutely essential um, in terms of ensuring continuity of care and access to care um, mm. and I think it has to be done at the point of where they're at right now um, okay. uh, otherwise you do lose people along the way yeah, absolutely. And um, obviously for those of us more directly involved in the health side of things than accommodation, we'd be very keen to advocate that the uh, what's naturally led by accommodation, the clues in the title of homelessness and those uh, living with that, um, but to advocate for a kind of, if not a health-led response, but certainly a, health, a very health uh, kind of in included response. Equally, those having to provide accommodation get, get people housed are under untold pressure how 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 has that progress been at the at the coalface um, in terms of getting that kind of buy-in so there is the kind of the health partnering with with the accommodation do you feel from what you've seen um i think it's i think we're making progress mm. i have to say that the housing teams are absolutely phenomenal in terms of the work that they've done Mm. at the call face under really pressurised um, uh, conditions. Mm. Um, and I think they've just been amazing. Um, mm. And I think our conversations and these health assessments um, and meeting with housing teams have really 
uh, opened up the conversation around health and housing working together for the benefit of the individual mm. um, and how important a health-led approach um, is to housing in terms of ensuring people have their both their acute health needs met but also as I mentioned earlier the, the kind of ensuring mm. the long-term um, sustainability of that particular type of housing for them mm. um, and without that health-led approach people could could really you know fall down um, after they are accommodated mm. in terms of not being able to sustain that um, mm. tenancy because of these un addressed and unmet needs mm. and I think those conversations are really starting to happen and it's really um, promising and really um, positive I think mm. the work that's been done mm. um, as a consequence of this crisis you know health and housing teams have come together mm. and I think at the coalface there is a lot more partnership working there mm. is some recognition of each other's challenges um, mm and the opportunities as well in, mm. in working together. Um, mm. And I think it's really important to not let this moment kind of slip away yeah. um, and build on those positive relationships that have uh, kind of been mm. created in this crisis. Excellent. And um, I think I'm, I'm laboring the point slightly here, so maybe a brief response on this one. But you guys and sort of others providing similar centralised support, obviously that's going to begin to be stepped down as hotels begin to close and there's some sort of business as usual returns and so uh, the idea the concept or whatever of doing health assessments will move more to local providers but these aren't compulsory of course you know they're, they're a good idea um in short how would you how would you try and sell this it isn't kind of your elevator pitch to those <laughs> who are under this pressure to say this is worthwhile yeah, I completely understand the pressures. Um, mm. What I would say is this is a, a once in a lifetime opportunity mm. to really make a, a long term impact on the health of people who experience homelessness. Mm. Um, and uh, we really need to take this opportunity. And mm. the, doing the health needs assessment is the first um, mm. part of that. Um, and it's really, really important. And I would encourage all local teams to mm. to do health needs assessments on on as many people as possible, mm. um, really to address these issues and and to ensure the the long term benefit of um, mm. of of the everybody in yeah. program of work. Excellent. Um, and it's um, yeah. Binta, we've uh, spoken a lot uh, about the health needs assessment and getting some great detail there. Um, for those of us again like myself who aren't experts on these things what what were people physically tested for and screened for and and kind of what are some of the kind of up, up, upshots of that i think we've spoken about hepatitis and covid is, is that the limit were there other things people were screened for yeah so everyone who has symptoms is uh, will be um, tested for covid um mm -hmm. and it, we, everyone will be offered and is offered uh, a test for bloodborne viruses. Um, mm. So bloodborne viruses are hepatitis C, mm. hepatitis B, HIV. 
We also offer a test for sexually transmitted infections, um, mm. so including syphilis, gonorrhea and chlamydia, alongside the health assessments. And the bloodborne virus testing and the sexual health testing is done by our team at Find and Treat. And we're working across London with local teams um, to, to go out to all the hostels and hotels and offer people point of care hepatitis C, HIV, mm. hepatitis B and sexual health testing. So they get results straight away. Mm. Um, we've started a number of people, we've diagnosed a number of people with hepatitis C infection and uh, several of those have started same day treatment for hepatitis C, which mm. is now curable. Um, and so that's a, a really great piece of work that's gone alongside these crisp health assessments and has really kind of complemented what we've been able to offer people. Excellent. And I think when we launch this, it's probably going to coincide with World Hepatitis Day. And I know there's been some great results there. So it's been great to know that the Homeless Health Response has chimed well with that. And, um, you know, I, I've mentioned it a couple of times about how things are now starting to go into a new, a new stage. Uh, but as we also say, support from yourselves and support from the likes of us at HLP is not going to fall off a cliff face and that you have got some tools and support uh, already in place or coming up is that right? Yeah so we've got a couple of things in place so we've got we've created some resources um, to enable local teams to carry out health assessments. Okay. Um, we also have um, created a, sort of a package um, for uh, local teams who would like uh, the CRISP team to continue okay. um, and so uh, if that can be resourced by local teams mm -hmm. then the CRISP team can continue to do assessments within those mm -hmm. um, local areas. Mm -hmm. um, what we're limited by right now is resources and that's why we, we've had to wind up mm -hmm. this kind of phase. Okay. Um, but the next phase um, is that we do have an offer of being able to do crisp assessments if we have the resources to do that and um, that's something that we can talk a bit more about um, mm. in the webinar as well. Yeah that'd be good to, to pick that up then and um, the kind of toolkit sort of practical tools I'm not sure if they're available yet or although they might be by the time the uh, 6th of August webinar comes around, I think. We've got a draft for the toolkit, so those will be up um, and ready for people to use Bam. before the webinar, yeah. Great, okay, so once we're ready with that, we'll add that to the description on the podcast. So depending on when you pick this podcast up, they, it may well be in the footer, but if not, it will be soon. Um, okay, uh, in terms of starting to wrap up this bit of the conversation, Winter, um, uh, well, firstly, I'll say two things. One, please, to all our listeners, please do check the Healthy London Partnership Homeless Health COVID response pages. We will have the link up there to register for the webinar and we'll put it in the footer of this podcast as well. But to you, um, Binter, we've said a few times, and it feels that this rings true, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, hand on heart, how, how close do you feel we are to grasping that or how fully do you think we're grasping that in London? I think that it's been phenomenal the effort um, both from the health and housing teams and I think during the midst of the crisis we all worked together and recognised um, the, the health issues and 
Um, I feel heartened by that. My mm. concern is that this opportunity will slip away as we return to normal working and normal business. Mm. Um, and it would have been a really missed opportunity. Um, mm. And so I am hopeful that we will continue these relationships that have been built and the recognition of the importance of health um, and how it impacts housing. Um, I don't think there's any going back. Um, mm. And I think that there's a lot there that we can build on. And I just hope that people really do take the opportunity um, to build on it and to, to for us all to have this lasting impact. It would be a great legacy, um, the mm. one good legacy of COVID, um, yeah. to have us health and housing working together and, and uh, this long-term benefit to the people who experience homelessness in London. That's brilliant. I don't think there's any way we could better sum up the conversation, Binta. So um, thank you, Dr. Binta Selton, for joining me this afternoon. I'm James Thornton, Senior Communications Manager at Healthy London Partnership. This is the London Health Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, do subscribe if you can and do check the footer. We'll have all the links in there for the webinar to register for that and also kind of previous case studies and other useful things like the toolkit when it's available. Thank you very much, everyone.